Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Ramek. Berto is your host. Thank you so kind for being a part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today, as usual. And guess what, folks? It seems like the Freedom Caucus is all pissed off. Wonder why? Maybe because they got played? Did they feel like they got played after trying to hold the country hostage and realize that they didn't have with what to bargain? Which is a reality. Yes, they could have crashed the entire system, but to what goal? To what end point? What was the ultimate goal of doing this? You know, remember, sometimes if you're willing to hold a hostage, you're not willing to really go through with it. And the person you're opposing understands the reality of where you stand and also understand that most of the things that you're attempting to do will hurt your people more so than their people, then you're in trouble. And the only thing you can hope for is that maybe, maybe, just maybe, the guys you were trying to extort have some pity on you and create the facade that you guys normally create, the facade that you guys are always creating to imply that you really care, to imply that you can govern, to imply that you know what's going on, that, hey, can you help me out here? All right. Okay. Uh, I tell you what, McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, I'm going to be the good guy here, Kevin. So said, so said Biden. I'll be your, I'll, I'll help you out here. I'll make it seem like you won. But you know, Biden played. Uh, you know what, Bruce? I know it's not about crowing till the paper is signed, Bruce. I understand that. But hey, let me introduce my folks. How dare I start the program without saluting our wonderful uh, progressives and our wonderful conservatives that are already in the house and moderate, Bruce? So let's get busy. Welcome to Politics and Right, Bruce Pollard from. Ingo, Texas, welcome to Politics and Right from Barcelona, Spain. Melanie Keelan, welcome to Politics and Right from Nueva York. New York is the one and only Michael Rodnin. Welcome to Politics and Right, my brother from another mother, Lee Grant. Welcome Politics and Right in Houston. Yvette Avery Herod, welcome to Yvette Avery Herod, our union expert out of Atlanta, Georgia. AVQ again out of Nueva York. Exactamente. And Tom C. is in the house. We spoke about you yesterday, Tom. We spoke about you yesterday and said, where the hell is Tom C.? Tom C. is here out of Michigan. And of course, Bridge MCP from upstate New York. I mean, what can I say? We are from all over the darn country. We love folks. Michael Rodden says, well, I mean, part of the deal includes work requirements for welfare benefits. so." Just shows what Republicans' real priorities are. Boston Globe, work requirements won't affect the debt ceiling, but they will stir racist narratives. It's time to disrupt three destructive stereotypes and stop trapping workers in a cycle of low-wage jobs and no path to real economic, uh, economic mobility. Welcome aboard, Barbara Wilkes. How are you doing, Barbara, from Wakefield, Michigan. Hey, we have two Michiganders in here. 
And Tom C says, I was out sailing our Partage Lake in Pink, uh, in Pinkney, Michigan. Oh, that must have been nice. Out there on the Great Lakes, just enjoying those big waves on, on fresh water. That was a great outing. You know what, Tom? I, 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 sometime I want to be able to grow up to be like some of you that can just chill on a boat. You know what, though? It's funny because I will be on the boat and I'll be saying, is there, a, is there Wi-Fi access close by? You know, that, that, that's what I would do. You know, it's like, where's the Wi-Fi access? Where's the Wi-Fi access? But anyhow, so yeah, Bruce says he doesn't want me to crawl yet. Bruce, I want to, but I want to. I'm a nobody, Bruce. They're not listening to me, you know? But no, look, I want you guys to understand this, right? Um, last night, I was watching um, uh, Lawrence O'Donnell. And Lawrence O'Donnell reminded, well, not reminded me, he made me aware of something that I didn't even notice. It was a part of the plan. When Biden said, I am not negotiating at all. That was the smartest move he made. Because caving in, or the implicit belief that he caved in on negotiating, gave the opposition a simulated win which removes other items that they would likely have had to get in a deal that no longer applies. It was, you know, when Lawrence explained it last night, I said it was actually genius to actually go in saying, I'm not going to negotiate and then cave. But it was a calculated cave made from the time you decided then saying you weren't going to negotiate because you knew that you're going to use that as a winning point that they can go to their base and say look no matter what remember rem kevin mccarthy that's the first thing he said remember i got him to the table he had to come and negotiate i am strong when that was bush ba uh, biden's tactic all, all all along that was his tactic all along. Give them an implied win. It's not really a win, you know. And then I, I think the other great thing was the, 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 the food stamp, the snap stuff, right? You want, you want to go ahead and get all those veterans and homeless people, be able to give them snap because, again, you are a, 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 you are a humane person. So as you're making the deal, you make believe that you're giving up something. Okay, so, oh, okay. People between 49 and 54 now have to qualify for stamps. So, you know, we know who they are and they will qualify anyhow. And then, but we're going to give veterans and homeless folks easy access for something that uh, we should be wanting to give them anyhow, but you guys are too evil to give. So, we, we take these other folks off from 49 to 54 implicitly, and then we give uh, that to the other folks. And supposedly it's an even swap, but it isn't, right? Because those folks that are between 49 and 54, even though you're putting a work requirements there, that's all they have to do, show a work requirement. And most of them, if they have to, they will, right? And this stuff isn't about people living on the dole 
poor people don't live on the dole. Even those people in the, that you like to hate in the middle of the ghettos, the barrios, and Appalachia understand what understand that even though some of them can do better, right? Get a job, work hard for a little bit more. I I did a show at KPFT with uh with Pedro Silva. Um, Pedro Silva says the state that some people are in right now, when it comes to doing certain types of work, etc., and what the the uh the economic gain that they get from it, the the advantages of word for that, I can't remember the word right now. It wasn't. It's not worth it. To which Pedro says, some people just throw their hands up in the air and says, "What's the point? What's the point?" You know. What we are giving some of these folks at the low end, it's a pittance. You want to know where the money is? When a defense contractor charges $10,000 for a part that costs $339, that is where we should be going. When uh, McCarthy says, I want $45 billion more as I cut welfare, as I cut social programs, as I cut all these other things, when he says he wants to cut those, but he wants to raise the military budget by $45 billion. After 60 Minutes does, does a piece where we see that the military significantly overcharges for what they've done. Missiles, according to, according to the report, a year's worth of missiles could be given for free, given the overcharging that occurs in the military. People, and we're going after those Menial $6 a day food stamps. That's what we're trying to cause. That is where the problem is. People, people, people. I am glad that, uh, you know, but, but look, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not a neoliberal. I'm a very progressive person, as many of you are, but some of, we have conservatives and moderates here as well. But I'm going to tell you something. I want things done. And in the interim, until progressives really get critical mass, which we will at some point, uh, I get in trouble with some of my progressives for giving Biden kudos. But I've got to give the man kudos. I got to give the man kudos. Because I don't know which progressive thought that this neoliberal president that we have here would have come out with a deal like he came out with. And I think those of us who know we need to go somewhere else, who knows we have to have progressive values to get us out of this income disparity, income inequality, all this stuff, to get us out of here, to give us, get us an equitable society. We have to do better we progressives have got to win. We have to sell what we have to offer. It's a must. It's a must. But Biden holding pace, and not only holding pace, to some extent, moving some of the policies that progressives want, progressive support forward. I can see why... Uh, uh, Jayapal and these other seasoned progressives are actually playing ball. 
they're being mature and they're doing what needs to be done. I know a lot of my progressives are going to eat me raw for saying some of this about the neoliberals that are still running the Democratic Party. But we should give kudos where it's due. Just like we have our philosophy, they have their philosophy as well. Uh, we think our philosophy is more humane. I think we can prove that our philosophy is more humane. <clears throat> I think we can prove that our philosophy is more humane. But you know what? Kudos to my brother Biden. Kudos to my brother Biden. All right, let's see. Tom C says, I was out sailing on Portage Lake in Pinckney, Michigan. Great for you, buddy. Michael, you know, when I come to Michigan, I hope you have a boat for me to, be, to, to sail on for at least two hours or so, you know? Michael Rodden says, my childhood best friend who moved to Pennsylvania has sailboats. Last summer, we went relaxing on a nearby lake. Good times. I hear you, buddy. Michael Rodden is also, Kevin McCarthy made it seem that merely getting Biden to negotiate was a win for Republicans. Yes, yes, you get it, Michael, you get it. And that's the whole plan. And I didn't see it. I've got, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't see that that was how it was going to work out. So I, I learned, I mean, good tactics. A guy, I guess the old man has some good experience, you know? The old guy, the old 80-year-old the old dude taught us youngsters and the youngest youngsters a lesson, I guess. And we should be happy about that. All right, Tom C says, our sailboat is a small day sailor, Wayfair, really challenging in swirling winds on small inland lake. Been sailing now for 28 years. You go, man. All right, Brit says, from Michael's article, in the late 1900s, 19th and early 20th century, mothers' pensions were small cash payments designed to help single mothers, mostly widows, take care of their kids. There were no work requirements. In fact, the whole point of these payments was to allow women to stay home to take care of their children. But these payments were overwhelmingly given to white mothers. A 1931 survey found that 96% of participants in the programs were white, while black mothers were required to work. Requiring black people to work is rooted in slavery. White enslavers consistently portrayed black people as lazy and unwilling to work, even though enslaved people worked almost constantly which further perpetuated the institution of slavery. You know, it is funny because um, the myths, and that's why things like teaching history, real history and race and all of that is so important because so many times those fallacies are made. I mean, I saw a TikTok. I, I hope I saved it off because uh, you opened a can of worms there for me the door for a TikTok that I saw that I'm like, you know, if, if just more people would get away from the narrative that they hear and start thinking about, oops, I got to stop this. All right, let, let, let's, come on, come on. No, 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 no. I need to shut you down for a minute. I, I want to find what this, this thing, because it was profound. The link that I, th this person sent me a link or it came up in my feed. I don't quite remember which one it was. I think I saved it off. And it, it's, I want you guys to listen to this. This one, this one I thought was, uh, was telling. Check this out here. Uh, let me put this on the screen first. And then I want you to check this out here. It was interestingly funny. Not funny, interesting. Here we go. Hi, thanks for coming today. 
Um, are there any trends within within the black community, such as higher crime rates or higher illegitimacy, illegitimacy rates that could explain their position vis-a-vis whites? And can those be explained by some dominant social group? No. No to the first one or the no to bo- one? No to, to both. both. So there's no I mean, it, 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 it's, there's a propagandistic mechanism that's afloat about, you know, black illegitimacy and black criminality. Um, I guess it depends on what kind of crime you have in mind. Uh, if we think about which community in the United States has the highest degree of history of violence, that's unequ- unquestionably white Americans. Unquestionably. I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware of the hundred massacres that were conducted between the end of the Civil War and World War II that were directed against black communities throughout the United States, in which thousands of blacks were killed and the white terrorists appropriated black-owned property. So there's no segment of the population that has a greater history of violence than white Americans. So when you talk about these kinds of matters to me, you're actually mouthing a set of propagandistic claims that are made on the right in the United States, and they do not have a foundation in fact. Um, Somebody sent me that this morning. And, you know, I always talk about us having to look at real history. And, you know, (laughs) um, and the reason I brought that up is because of what Bridge put out there to show that, you uh, you know, how people perceive things, right? Uh, the, the perception that a particular group is lazy when that group all along the foundation of this country had been working and forced to work for free. And, and I, I mean, you would think you would think that empathy would say that even if there are some of those folks that are lazy right now, given the amount of free labor they had given, that just may be. Some of them have a right to be lazy if that's the case. But again, it's not even the case. You go to any neighborhood right now and you see people working and for, for less pay, etc. In my book, uh, Tribulations of a, uh, of a Latino, Afro-Latino guy, I, I point out that back at home, we had this stuff that says for you to succeed, you have to work twice or three times as hard as anybody else. And the reason that's, that's the culture that I came from, realizing that in society, for society to see me as somebody who is worthy, somebody who is working. I'm not talking about for myself. I know I'm worthy. My sister knows she's worthy, who's a doctor. The other one who is an investment person. We know we're worthy, but we always were taught at home that to be seen as worthy, you had to work twice as hard, three times as hard. You had to do all these things because of exactly that question that that person asked. And what Bridge MCP placed in there, the, the, the theory of laziness, the theory of violence, all these things, right? When you see the reality of who should, be, who should really fear whom again, in, based, on, based on actual numbers, who should fear whom? And that is one of the hardest things when people are, don't know history or when history is tainted or when history is, is sanitized, that folks don't see it. I'm glad I've got a, a group here that can be the promoters of reality, of what really goes on. Thank you so kindly for that, uh, Bridge, because that gives, 
that gives the ability for us to infuse within the message some realities that even some of us some of us in this room may have in the back of our heads because of the history that we learn and then we're able to articulate the only way you can know that you're wrong is for when you're wrong for things to come out all right but he says 28 days straight on water tom see michael rodnin uh let's see lee grants don't worry a child will throw one all right tom sees i got that one already i got that one already let's see what else i got here twitter fails to remove hate speech by blue check users uh, well you know i went and got my blue check at, at, at uh, twitter so maybe i should try some hate speech and see if they're gonna remove it i don't know Lee Grant says, have you all seen how Target is now the latest victim to woke economics? We are in a culture war. No, Target was actually targeted by the right wing folks to try to shut down because they had, they had some gay stuff in the store. I don't know if that's a cool thing. That's a terrible thing. All right. Investors doing great things. Five Japanese trading houses backed by Warren Buffett have posted a combined net profit of $4.2 trillion yen, about $31 billion for the fiscal year ending March, more than quadrupling the earnings in the two years since investors started holding substantial stakes uh, through Berkshire Hathaway. Mitsubishi, the largest of the trading houses, reported Tuesday a, a record 1.18 trillion yen profit for the, billion, uh, for the year ending March 31st, up 26% for fiscal 2021. Mitsubishi said it will invest 2 trillion yen in carbon reduction business by by fiscal 2030 with 300 billion yet invested uh the fiscal year mitsubishi and you know when i see things like that a lot of people are impressed by statements like that right oh warren buffett made 26 billion dollars in investments and my question is where did that money come from who who benefits from that money that is our system though that is our system other people worked and these fat cats move a few papers around and buy this company, sell that company, trade this company, and they turn out to create billions of dollars. But the guys who are working, it's all on their backs. They don't partake in that. You know, and it is so hard for me to get through to see how some folks look at that with reverence. Oh, look at what, Warren. I look at that with disdain. Not because I envy that, but because I have to ask the question, how can, look, if I sat in this chair and talked to you every day and made millions upon millions upon millions and refused to pay taxes upon taxes upon taxes, that makes no sense. I think that is an economic system that gives us exactly what we have today. A lot of people throw their hands up in the air. People want to know, why are people more dedicated with your work? Well, why should they when Warren Buffett is making all the money off of your back? Why? Tom C's new limerick says, I got to read, you know, anytime Tom comes with a limerick, I make sure and get it right. Here we go. <clears throat> new limerick. A Florida governor named Ron DeSantis, around the truth, he prances and dances. Bans books and CRT. Detests gays and ESG. Attacks liberty like a right-wing praying mantis. I love that. I love that. I love that. I hope you're going to add that to the website or to maybe that's kind of short, but into a set of limericks on the websites, my brother. All right, Eric Hayes. Uh, let's see what I, I, I said that already. 
Lee Grant says capitalism is always looking for new markets to sell products to. If corporations want to sell products to LGBTQ people, why do you care so much? Exactly. You, you named that perfectly, Brudnin. So smart. But he says everyone who thinks woke is bad really means they don't like moving forward with our fellow citizens. With the times in addition, it means you feel others' pain. You have, a, you have empathy exactly. Anti-whiteism is in vogue. No, no. Who's anti-white? Who is anti-white, Lee Grant? You know, I can't be anti-white. You know, I have white nephews. I have white, uh, white uh, relatives. I have black relatives. I have Indian relatives. I'm, and I mean on, on the first degree. So how can, you know, I, I don't think there's anti-whiteness. Um, what you have to define is uh, we are anti-white supremacist. That's what we are here. Anti-white supremacist. And all that we have learned in school too often is white supremacist. That, that piece that I played earlier, when, again, when, when you have, Mike Sisak would always come on our show here, and when he wants to talk about violence, he tries to make it seem like the violent ones, intrinsic violence belong to folks who simply look like me. Violence is intrinsic to that pigmentation, which is wrong. It's, it's false, right? If you, as the professor said in that speech, if you really want to see the catastrophic violence that have occurred in this country, it wasn't from those who were enslaved. It was for those who enslaved them. because and, and it didn't only go towards them. It went against the indigenous folks. It went against the Chinese. Let's just, and this is not a blaming on you, Lee Grant, or anybody else who is white. That's just history. you know. And interestingly as well, like I said, we just follow leaders. And if you have bad leaders with bad policies, that's what get executed. All the people in Nazi uh, uh, Germany weren't bad, including a lot of the Nazis weren't bad. They just couldn't think on their own. That's all. It's terrible, but that's it. The companies will do fine. Even Disney. Disney's actually cleaning up with their new uh, with their new mermaid thing. More uh, the fifth the fifth largest Memorial Day run ever. So I guess DeSantis is kind of helping them out, huh? All right, let's see. How many dozen of black towns were inundated and turned into lakes, then forgotten throughout our nation's history? Here's an article which includes a short list. I saw, actually, I saw it in a medium, but I also saw there's a comedian who did a thing about all the sunken black cities, right? All right, Michael Ryan says, Lee Grant, it's not anti-whiteism. Whatever the F that is, it's acknowledging the horrors of history. Thank you for that very salient, smart statement. But he says a black community was displaced to build Central Park. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I learned that from, I think it was the History Channel. Uh, but yeah, it, it is amazing, right? Uh, let's see what we got here. Uh, yeah, continuing. Before Central Park was built, a predominantly African-American community was torn down to make room for it. Now a monument is being made to commemorate the village. Seneca Village was New York's first free black community. One family that lived there, the lands fought to make New York City a more just place as the country worked to overcome. Exactamente, exactamente. All right, let's go ahead. Let's see, Harry Kay Zegberto, you know he's giving away most of all his money when he dies. So what? 
I mean, you know, I, it drives me crazy when you say that. It wasn't his to give. Yes, it was his to give because of the capitalist society. But that is like saying, I steal all of your money. But when I die and I don't need it anymore, I'm going to give it back to you. Am I supposed to feel benevolent? I mean, like you're a benevolent person because of that? Again, the enslaved mentality that we have inculcated into people's minds. It's like, okay, Bill Gates is, I like Bill Gates. I like, I like uh, the guy from, uh, I like Warren Buffett. These guys are victims of, or, or not victims, but they're a part of this automatic, this system that's an automatic pilot that, that takes advantage of the bodies of others, that takes advantage of the labor of others, that takes advantage of just about everything in this world, right? Africa, the country that has the most natural resources, the poorest country in the world. And what do they blame? They blame the people there as opposed to blaming the violence against the people there. You know, that is what we do. We have to learn these things and not learn it through the perpetrators of the violence that have cre created this country. We have to learn it on our own. You know, that's what we got to do. Anyhow, so no one has the right to be lazy, won't work hard and succeed. Yeah, people are, well, you know, the enslavers were lazy. They enslaved people to do the work they didn't want to do. So they thought they had the right to be lazy. They enslaved the people to work for free for work they didn't want to do and work they didn't want to pay a wage for. So Eric, and, and you know what? Their offsprings are living off of that wealth to this day. The insurance company that insured those slaves are enriched on those slaves' backs to this day. It's not like it happened just and, and, and it's all good. We, we, end, we end the institution and everything is okay. No, the profits and everything was made on it. Por favor, learn history. Papi Juan Shaven says, many countries are starting to look for alternatives to the U.S. dollar, partly because of horrendous debt problem. It's not the debt problem. It's the insecurity problem. Again, we have a sovereign currency. Debt really means very little. Ask Cheney about that, and you'll see he says that. Uh, Papi Omanchon says, Texas pioneer Stephen Austin wrote in different letters, nothing is wanted but money, and Negroes are necessary to make it. I didn't know he said that, but wow. Anyhow, let the right wing, like I said, is going crazy. MAGA has realized that they've been had. So we have Bob, Bob Poole going crazy. Bob Good going crazy. Check out what he had to say, then we'll take it on the other side. Is the Virginia Republican Congressman Bob Good? He serves on the Budget Committee, also a member of the House Freedom Caucus. We know your colleagues from the Freedom Caucus, uh, Congressman Good, are speaking right now. They say they are no votes. You call this deal an abysmal failure. Does that mean that you are a no vote as well? Absolutely not. The bottom line: this bill is bad for the country. It worsens our fiscal situation. It makes an eventual default much more likely. It'll increase our national debt by. 
some 10 percent over two years. It's an unlimited increase to the national debt limit. Uh, it'll go to thirty five, thirty six trillion dollars on our current track. That's with no new extra special in uh, uh, kind of spending, emergency type spending. It is still will take us to thirty five, thirty six trillion in national debt. Democrats got everything they wanted in this bill, which was essentially an un unconditional debt ceiling increase with no changes to their primary programs. To me. It means re Republicans are going to go on record, apparently some Republicans, in voting for to affirm the Biden agenda for two more years. It's just terrible to for the American people, terrible for the country, terrible for the Republican Party. Congressman, good to be clear. Speaker McCarthy says that there is nothing in here for Democrats. But I want to ask you specifically about what we're going to be watching happen first, right? The Rules Committee has to have uh, it's, it has to weigh in on this today. So do you expect it to pass through the Rules Committee? Chip Roy, your colleague, has said we can still kill this and start over and do the right thing. Well, Democrats are being told to suppress their enthusiasm for the bill behind the scenes. They don't want it to look too much to be too evident it's a Democrat bill. So they're suppressing their enthusiasm and feigning some concern. But it's essentially a Democrat bill with everything that they wanted, which is a debt ceiling increase with no conditions, essentially. I hope that Chip Roy, Ralph Norman and Thomas Massey, the new conservatives uh, who were put on the Rules Committee, will be able to kill it in the Rules Committee. But I certainly hope Republican opposition to it will grow as more Republican members learn what's actually in the bill. You know, you go from, you know, from uh, canceling the IRS expansion of $80 billion to just rescinding $1 billion of it. You go to really weak work requirements. Well, let me ask the, you about uh, that because you say they're really weak work requirements, but they are expanded work requirements. So how, why would Democrats be well, voting to expand modest. work requirements in, in any way? In, in Limit, Save, Grow, you had work requirements for Medicaid, food stamps, and cash welfare payments, as you know. The biggest part of that is Medicaid. That was taken out. And then you had some exceptions added to the to the work requirements for veterans, for homeless, for anyone affiliated with foster care. Those are actually permanent. And the modest work requirements only that phased into age 54, those have a sunset provision to them. So those will expire, but the exceptions will not expire. So even the work requirements aren't good. It's again, like the IRS expansion. Not good, but you agree vote. they're still stricter than they currently are. Let me ask you about the Freedom Caucus, if I can, that had a conference call last night where Ken Buck, another Freedom Caucus colleague, floated a motion to vacate. That's the rule for those watching that would allow a single Republican to initiate a vote to remove Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. Buck, as we understand it, referred to it as the elephant in the room. Where are those discussions? Well, the, the Freedom Caucus is focused on trying to defeat the bill, trying to defeat a bill that's bad for the country, trying to expose what's in the bill. But I will tell you that what January was about, the Speaker battle, what it was about was uh, was uh, us not doing in a Republican majority what we've always done, which is passing bills, uh, major pieces of spending legislation, which a majority of Democrat voters. I, I suspect that you're going to have more Democrats vote for this bill than Republicans when it's all said and done tomorrow night. That was one of the things. We're not going to do that in a majority. We're not going to pass legislation the majority of Democrat votes for major spending packages. Number two, we're going to use every tool at our disposal to fight all the leverage that we had. We were in a strong position just a few days ago. We have surrendered all so, uh, of that. And on the at the 11th hour, we have uh, jettisoned everything about the Limit, Save, Grow Act. And we've given the Democrats what they started out asking back in January, which was an unconditional, unlimited debt ceiling increase through January of 25. So let me be quick on that, if I can. Would you support Congressman Gosar's suggestion that it can be used as a threat to force McCarthy to allow Republicans to amend the bill on the House floor that could stall its package? This, it's I don't know what you're talking about, a threat, but we ought to have amendments that are able to be made. Uh, we ought to have op an open rule process. We ought to have regular order. That was part of January as well. Should Speaker McCarthy remain Speaker, I guess, is the simple question, yes or no? 
Well, again, th- this this was a this is a terrible failure of leadership. And so uh, he's the leader. Should to he not, remain speaker? To not utilize every tool at our disposal to fight and use the Republican majority that the American people gave us. We ought to be able to force a Republican bill to the floor, not a Democrat bill to the floor. We also ought to uh, not be passing legislation with the majority of Democrats, which I think is what's going to take place on the vote tomorrow night. Congressman Good, help me understand this. Republicans raised the debt ceiling, suspended it officially three times under the former president, Donald Trump. The national debt rose almost $8 trillion. I think it's $7.8 trillion to be exact during former President Trump's time in office. Why is this different? Well, first of all, I'm in Congress because I wasn't part of that, and I brought came to Congress to make change. Number two, most Republicans didn't vote for that debt ceiling increase. That was Democrat votes that largely provided those debt ceiling increases. Very few Republicans who are in the House today have ever voted for a debt ceiling increase. However, we spent 90 days coming together negotiating a, a responsible, reasonable debt ceiling increase of $1.5 trillion because the, the, the Senate and the White House were MIA. We were doing all the work on the House side, and you had Republicans who wanted to cut spending so much they would never have to increase the debt limit, but we agreed to do it with some responsible reforms, some significant cuts in spending. Uh, we did our work. It was a meaningful bill. It was, it was a bill that was good for the country. It's a step in the right direction. We should have forced the Senate to vote on our bill. We should have forced the Senate to vote on our bill. You know, um, if I didn't care about human beings, if progressives didn't care about human beings, they wouldn't make comments like, those of us who need to vote for this bill to make it pass, not because we like it, but because we care about those who would be hurt if we get a, if we get a, def, a, a default, right? Thinking people, people who are willing to put humanity ahead of this macho testosterone winning kind of a thing, right? It's amazing. Kudos to you, guy. Kudos to you for being so evil, brother. This guy, good. These guys, uh, the, the worst part about their evil, right, is that they can do it with a straight face. But the second worst part is that there are people who listen to what he had to say and think it has some sort of a plausibility. It's a shame. It's a shame that somebody can be that evil not to understand that the bill that they passed would have left people hungry, that the bills that they passed the way it was passed would have thrown us into a cataclysmic recession because, because of where we are in this recovery. But they don't care. They don't care. They only talk about life as a prop. But when it comes to do the things to maintain life and the quality of life, they are nowhere to be found. Let's remember that, people. Don't fall for the crap. All right, the other video that I want to show you, it's Fox News is pretty much in trouble. They're still the number one rated cable, even if, if very injured. But you know what's happening, folks? The money is going to do them in. The money is going to do them in, as we see right here. Technology was used to rig elections in Venezuela. It is now in the, quote, DNA of every vote tabulating company software and system. One source says that the key point to understand is that the Smartmatic system has a backdoor that allows it to be, that allows the votes to be mirrored and monitored, allowing an intervening party a real-time understanding of how many votes will be needed to gain an electoral advantage. 
All I'm wondering is if the lady who talked to the wind told her that. Hi again, everybody. It's five o'clock in New York. Dominion Voting Systems lawsuit against Fox News may have settled at a historic number, but Fox's defamation risk and troubles are far from over. Still looming large for them is the $2.7 billion lawsuit that has been filed by election technology and software company you heard mentioned by those anchors, Smartmatic. For comments like the ones you just heard. The company was only used in Los Angeles County during the 2020 presidential election, but it became a target of Fox's smears and conspiracies in the election aftermath. New expansive investigative reporting in the New York Times shines a light on the missteps and miscalculations made by Fox executives when dealing with the Dominion case. The very same people who are still there and in charge of the legal strategy for the Smartmatic case. From that new reporting, quote, the Dominion case resulted in one of the biggest legal and business debacles in the history of Rupert Murdoch's media empire, an avalanche of embarrassing disclosures from internal messages released in court filings. The largest known settlement in a defamation suit, $787.5 million dollars, two shareholder lawsuits, and the benching of Fox's top prime time star Tucker Carlson. When pretrial rulings went against the company, Fox did not pursue a settlement in any real way. Executives were then caught flat-footed as Dominion's court filings included internal Fox messages that made clear how the company chased a Trump-loving audience that preferred his election lies, the same lies that helped feed the January 6th Capitol riots to the truth. As more and more damaging revelations became public, Fox News realized its best bet was to settle, which it did in one of the largest defamation settlements ever. Smartmatic suit, the Times notes, can now build on the evidence produced in the Dominion case to press its own considerable claims. The lawsuit alleges this, that Trump lawyers Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell, quote, created a story about Smartmatic and that Fox defendants joined the conspiracy to defame and disparage Smartmatic. The suit goes on to say, quote, the story turned neighbor against neighbor. The story led a mob to attack the U.S. Capitol. Defendants started a fire for selfish and financial reasons, and they cared not the damage their story caused to Smartmatic its officers and employees and the country. Last month, Fox agreed to hand over more documents to Smartmatic, including Dominion deposition transcripts from Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch. Meanwhile, the issues for Fox keep mounting. The New York Times writes this, quote, in the week since the settlement and Carlson's ouster, primetime ratings have dropped, though Fox does remain number one in cable news. And new plaintiffs sued the network, most recently a former Homeland Security official, Nina Jankowitz. As one of Ms. Jankowitz's as lawyers said in an interview, the Dominion case, quote, signals that there is a path. Fox News still in hot water. Fox News still in hot water. Deservedly so. Any station who calculatedly lies as they do, they deserve everything that's coming to them. And they're, they're, they're going to be likely out billions more, which mean the shareholders are going to go bonkers as they lose value in the shareholder price. Sometimes, just sometimes, it works that money supersedes just about everything. Joanne Reed. Joanne Reed had a piece that she did yesterday that I want to play. And the reason why, it's about DeSantis totalitarianism, the way, you know, he wants to make America Florida. But uh, she contrasted 
with the, the uh, governor of Minnesota with a one-vote Democratic majority, how much he did. How much were they able to accomplish? I want you to check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. Everyone knows if I'm the nominee, I will beat Biden uh, and I will serve two terms and I will be able to uh, destroy leftism in this country and leave woke ideology on the dustbin of history. That was Ron DeSantis on Memorial Day with a big old warship in the background, assuring Americans that as your two term president, he will destroy leftism and wokeism. Okay, let's unpack that, because that sure sounds like a massive federal overhaul of American life. And we already have a good sense of what that would look like. In the most recent Florida legislative session, DeSantis and his minions waged a war on women's reproductive rights. He's banned books. He greenlit draconian restrictions on speech in schools. He's pushed a ban on black history, hurled governmental power at individual businesses to punish them for speech he didn't like, and made guns easier to access. That's what he's done and what he wants to do to the rest of this country, per his own words, make America Florida. Contrast that with Minnesota's Democratic Governor Tim Walz, a man who is not running for president. In his state's most recent legislative session, he moved to get families paid family and medical leave, increased funding for free school lunches for kids, passed tax credits to low-income families, strengthened gun laws, protected reproductive rights, and moved to make housing more affordable. None of that governing stuff is apparently appealing to DeSantis, even though Florida is in desperate need of the same help. Have you seen how much it costs to rent a place in Florida? What it costs to insure your home? The logical implication of DeSantis's statement about destroying wokeism is that if he's elected president, the federal government would ignore your material and economic needs and instead would micromanage every aspect of your life. So I guess DeSantis, the DeSantis administration, would move to replace the boards of every one of the approximately 6,000 public universities in this country that he thinks are too woke, like he did it to New College in Florida. And he's going to need some de facto morality police to monitor what you read and ban books in America's 90,000 odd public schools. President DeSantis would ban artistic freedom of speech, of course and wield the federal government like a sledgehammer against businesses who do anything that displeases him and other members of the far right. A national six-week abortion ban? Make America Florida, am I right? You want to control your body anymore, ladies? Nah, Chairman, sorry, President DeSantis is going to do that. And there is a model for what this little dictator in the making wants to do. Just look at China, Cuba, North Korea, Afghanistan, or Iran, where the government censors the media or force feeds a strict conservative religious ideology to children in schools, deploys morality police to make sure you're wearing what they want, learning what they want, doing what they want. That model also happens to have a name. And it's called totalitarianism, the political concept that the citizen should totally be subject to an absolute state authority. DeSantis's proposal would also require a massive multi-trillion dollar federal investment in a humongous bureaucracy to control and squash unwanted wokeness. Let me guess, to get Mexico to pay for it? Freedom from big government used to be a pretty basic Republican principle, but I guess that went out the window along with respect for democracy. That hasn't stopped other states from adopting the ideas of DeSantis stand. That, that doesn't make it a winning strategy. Actually, it makes it a losing strategy. So, I mean, did you see the contrast? 
the things that the scientists is talking about. We're going to stop the wokeness. We're going to stop the, the, the we're going to stop the left. We're going to all the things we are going to do to not do things. And then we have the governor of Minnesota out there doing things that actually help people. Doing things that helps people. Wow. Is that great or what? I mean, who do you think America is going to vote for? The person that is in constant, uh, in, in constant, well, you know, what can I say? A good job, Joy and Reed. Now, this last one here is from a friend of mine. Uh, Ali Velchi interviewed a good friend of mine who serves in the Texas State Legislature. And I just wanted to play her because I always love the way that she, she handles stuff here in Texas. So uh, let's, let, let's listen to a little bit of Jolanda Jones, who uh, represented us well on MSNBC recently when she had an interview about what was going on here in the great state of Texas. Take it over. The Republican Party, supposedly the party of small government and law and order, is once again proving that it is neither. Republicans in the state of Texas are trying to take over the administration of local elections, but not in every county in the state, just in Harris County, home of Houston, which happens to be not only the largest county in the entire state of Texas, but also its Democratic stronghold. So clearly, this is not about so-called election integrity. Texas Republicans have targeted Harris County before by passing a voter suppression bill that made it more difficult for minorities there to vote. Now it seems they're flat out trying to rig the game. But Harris County officials are fighting back, announcing a plan to sue the state over two Republican bills that they say are politically motivated and unconstitutional. And this comes as the state's top law enforcement officer who tried to overturn the 2020 election could be impeached tomorrow. Now, I don't know if you've been following the story, but for nearly a decade, Republicans have stayed silent about the mounting legal scandals facing the Attorney General Ken Paxton. But now a Texas House committee that's been investigating Ken Paxton voted unanimously to recommend impeaching Paxton, advancing 20 articles of impeachment, quote, on accusations that include bribery, dereliction of duty, disregard of official duty, and obstruction of justice, the Texas Tribune reports. He won re-election in 2018 while under indictment on state securities fraud charges without a single Republican challenger in his primary. He won re-election for a third time after he was, quote, sued in 2020 by four of his former aides who alleged that he fired them for reporting him to federal law enforcement for allegedly taking bribes and using his office to help one of his campaign contributors. NBC News reports. So much for law and order. This is the state's chief law enforcement officer. Those silent Republicans, however, are now going to go on the record about Ken Paxton when they vote on whether to impeach him tomorrow. But let's put that aside for a second and talk about what's going on in Harris County. Joining us now is the Texas State Representative Jolanda Jones. She represents parts of Harris County. Representative Jones, good to see you this evening. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Ali, how you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm always confused because during COVID, when there were counties, including Harris County, that wanted to, to put some restrictions in place about keeping people safe, Texas, the, the home of home rule, the one place that doesn't want big government interfering with small government that says people should make their own decisions, got involved and says no one could make any rules about COVID that contravened what the state of Texas said. Thought it was unusual then? It's unusual again now. They're getting involved in Harris County. What are they up to? No, Texas believes in home rule except for Harris County, and they're targeting us 
because we're the largest county in Texas. We had tremendous voter turnout. Uh, Harris County used to be Republican until 2018 when we had that wave of black women get it, get in. And so we're solidly Democratic and they're coming after us, coming after us and they're coming after us hard because we had a clerk who came up with very uh, innovative ways to increase voter turnout for everyone, not just Democrats, but Democrats and Republican. We had 24 hour voting. We had what else did we have? We had. Oh, we had early, we had early voting lasting longer. We sent out mail ballots to seniors to help them to vote. And we had tremendous turnout and they want to shut all that down. And they filed two bills that are going to help them, one, take our local voting and they're going to split it up into two separate departments. Uh, voter registration is going to be with our tax assessment collector. And then pulling off the elections is going to be with our clerk. And the reason that one is with the taxes as a collector is because it goes back to poll taxes and we had to have, we had to pay poll taxes. And then there's another one that says that the secretary of state will come in and be able to monitor Harris County and ultimately remove our election officials so that they can hijack the largest urban voting district in the state of Texas because which is, they want to keep which is a thing that's happening across this country that we have to keep an eye on, right? This is the thing that is worrying people that there is this movement across the country that's that's where states are saying they can come in ostensibly on the basis of you in Harris County are doing something wrong and change who administers votes. Who knows change what? And and you guys are arguing now that this is illegal and unconstitutional. Obviously, we watched the year before last when 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 you state representatives tried to sort of defend voting rights in, in your state. Unfortunately, you were voted down because the majority of the representatives are uh, are Republicans. Do you think you'll have more more success now because this is a, a, a legal case? Well, we hope to have it in the courts, but, you know, they gerrymandered the districts. They've appointed a whole bunch of Republican uh, judges. And then, of course, we know the Supreme Court is Republican. But we are going to fight. We, were, we will not stop fighting because what they are doing is wrong. And they are trying to determine the outcomes of the elections because we have a bunch of election deniers over the top of the state. What, what do you um, what happens here? Because in, in Harris County, as you said, this is a, a county that used to be solidly Republican. It's now Democratic, but there are lots of Republicans there. There've got to be Republicans in Harris County because this is the wealthiest county in, in, in the entire state who've got to be saying this can't be right. I'm a Republican in Harris County, but I can't this can't be allowed. How, how do Republicans want this to happen? So let me let me be clear. That's exactly who wants this to happen, because Republicans were used to controlling Harris County. Now they don't. A bunch of black people got elected and now they have lost their minds. They're trying to take Harris County back to the old days, to the Jim Crow days. And we're going to fight. We have a county attorney who sues the state of Texas every time they do anything, every single solitary time, which is the reason why people know exactly what's going on here in Harris County, because he is not afraid and he will take them to the mat. And that is Christian Manaphy. You guys heard, I interviewed Christian Manaphy, the attorney for Harris County, where he told us, he told our audience here that in fact, if this law passed, he would immediately uh, file suit against the state of Texas. And he did, he did, he did it to his word. Lee Grant says, how come so many bald folks are being featured on PDR today? Wow, I didn't even notice that, but wow, I think that's pretty cool, don't you think? Michael Rodden says, Texas conservatives 
losing their minds after Republicans come out of power. Yep, I've noticed that in chat repeatedly. So very good job, Mademoiselle uh, Jolanda Jones. I don't know if you guys remember Jolanda Jones. Jolanda Jones also uh, was in uh, that CBS thing, uh, uh, that that reality show. What was it called again? Uh, Lost Island? Not Lost Island. You know what I'm talking about. That reality show that they had. She was one of the stars on that show. The first season that they did it. Ah, oh, God, I can't remember the name of that CBS program. Anybody remembers it? Where you get, I think, 12 people on an, uh, on some crazy location, and they every every week they vote somebody out. Um, uh, survivor. She was uh, the, she was on the very first Survivor, very first Survivor. Anyway, let's uh, see. Um, that is the program today. It's four o'clock. Just want to ask you guys to please support the program at politicsdoneright.com slash support. Politicsdoneright.com slash support. But he says, see you maybe tomorrow. You got some busy days. Well, whenever you're not here, you know we miss you, beautiful. We miss you. We miss all our folks. Just like Tom wasn't here, we miss Tom. But anyway, support the program. Politicsdoneright.com slash support. Politicsdoneright.com slash support. Please support our trip to uh, to, to uh, Chicago. That is uh, down there at, well, I have it placed down there in, in, in the link. Anyway, and you can also support the show by just clicking join if you're on YouTube and become a part of the PDR Posse. Anyhow, got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this baby. How do I end it again? I am what? What am I? We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.